Hi there, and welcome to Choice Words, a podcast by and for book nerds. My name is Ray. I am your book blogger for bookinfested.com and local cryptid. My name's Gracie. I'm your local pigeon and published poet. And this week we're going to be doing a book review, much like how we did our book review of Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. This one will be a book review done primarily by Gracie. It's also technically two books. (laughs) Two books. Um, As Gracie was the one who read these books, and I did not. (laughs) Uh, So I will be asking questions, Gracie will be answering them, and hopefully you enjoy the show. Just a really quick reminder that our book review episodes are not spoiler free so if you are wanting to read these books and not have spoilers highly suggest doing it before listening to the rest of this episode right come back to these ones (laughs) all right are you ready uh yes (laughs) i got a big stack of notes here everybody can confirm that that is at least like four or five pages of definitely notes. definitely i know when i when i started reading these so what i will be reviewing today is an absolutely remarkable thing and a beautifully foolish endeavor which is hank green's duology and at first when i um started reading them i was like oh yeah i definitely want to review these for the podcast but don't know if it should be two episodes, we'll just do them all in one. And now I'm like, oh man, do I have a lot to talk about? So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Let us begin. Yes. What are some of your initial thoughts about these books? Yes. Okay. So I originally read An Absolutely Remarkable Thing when it came out. Um, I actually have a signed copy from Hank Green. I bought it. I pre-ordered it so that I could get the signed edition um, and read it when I was in college and loved it um but it definitely uh, you could tell it was hank's first book and that's kind of my biggest critique of it is that it's a great story it's very interesting it's very engaging um but he does kind of fall on some of those pitfalls of early writers and not necessarily like early writer but you could tell it was his first book um and then rereading it again for this time around because i wanted to reread it before reading the second one i kind of felt the same way where i was like this is an interesting story um it's definitely not like one of my top 10 books but in pairing it with the second book as a duology as a whole i appreciate the first book so much more now having read both of them together because you definitely it's one of those things you you have to read both of them to understand um both of them (laughs) so you mentioned that the first book definitely felt like a first book or read like a first book do you want to kind of explain a little more about what you mean by that yeah so it's actually interesting in the context of this podcast because we've recorded a couple episodes on writing now and some of those things that we've talked about where we're like hey here are probably some don'ts if you're a first-time writer hank definitely falls into some of those so um a lot of all caps to indicate volume or excitement Mm. which Again, not the worst thing you can do. Like, I know that that's a big thing for writing, especially in an online space or like a lot of fan fiction has that. Um, But in a published book setting, it was almost distracting a little bit. Um, And having a degree in English, it has been so ingrained in me to never do that. So it was a little, a little bit like a, ooh, uh, oh. Um, There's also a lot of ellipses for pauses instead of indicating a pause in some other way which again if you are a first-time writer you don't know that (laughs) and ellipses again in text format are totally normal um 
So yeah, so by comparison, um, he actually does even address this in the second book when he brings back a character who does a lot of this ellipses and all caps and things like that. Um, he makes a joke about it. He breaks the fourth wall a little bit. He, well, he breaks the fourth wall a lot in, in these books, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but you can tell that he took his reviews and critiques very seriously in between books one and book two because the the show of the amount of work he put in to better his writing between book one and book two uh, is astounding. Like, it, it's incredible. Um, and rather than in the first book, where it, it's almost distracting, in the second book, it comes across closer to characterization. Nice. Um, so does that mean that the book is told in primarily one point of view or multiple point of views? So the first book is, um, they're both in this, like, memoir-style um breaking the fourth wall like the um it's all first person the first book is uh, almost exclusively from the point of view of april may the main character um and it is memoir style um but also april is aware that she's telling you the story um and that actually ends up becoming a plot point in book two um because in book two it's all of the other characters and then also april and then also Carl, who we'll get to. <laughs> yeah, in, in light of that, do you want to give just a brief or general synopsis? And I understand that um, there's a lot that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so just like quick shot, yes. bare bones of what people need to read if you have your elevator pitch, so to speak. Yes. So yeah, uh, a lot of things happen, and this is two books, but I'm going to try to be as brief as I can. So in the first book, April May is a recent college graduate who is working at an upstart and lots of long hours. And so she's walking home from work one night at like... Hi, folks. We're going to re-record that because uh, we realized after sitting here and Gracie trying to cover everything, <laughs> we were sitting at about 10 minutes of synopsis. I'm so, so bad at this. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and try that again. Um, I'll probably leave a little bit of the clip in there just so that you can kind of get a sense that there's a lot that happens. So please note that this synopsis is not all-encompassing. There's a lot that goes on. If this seems even remotely interesting to you, you should probably read it. All right, so the problem that I'm having with <laughs> trying to synopsize these books is that so much happens in, in both of them. Hank tackles a lot of really, really big issues um, in such a short amount of time, even just in the first book, we talk a lot about social media, life online, uh, attention addiction, and um, the attention of fame and the pitfalls of it. We talk about imposter syndrome, inequality, the importance of community, and about a million other things. But in, in the shortest amount of time that I can tell you, uh, basically it's the story, the first book is the story of April May, who becomes the first human to ever come into contact with aliens. And because of this, and because of a viral video she created, she becomes essentially a political pundit. And her, in in the way that political pundits are mortal enemies, her mortal enemy, Peter, whose last name I don't even know how to pronounce, so I'm not even going to try. Is it Peter Lucas? No, I <laughs> wish. God, what a twist. <laughs> We've been listening to a lot of Magnus archives in this house. <laughs> so her mortal enemy, Peter, amasses this following of people who are uh, 
violently against what April is a part of and um, start a lot of rumors about her and, again, political punditry. And we're tackling a lot of what happens in actual discourse. Um, But the end result of this is that they um, trick April into um, coming to an abandoned warehouse that they then set on fire with her inside and she dies. Maybe... And that's where the first book ends. (laughs) The second book picks up about six months after the first one and is this wild and fantastical journey of basically what life looks like after aliens have visited and left. And while it changed absolutely everything, it also didn't really change anything because we still have to deal with the day-to-day stuff of like, you know, taxes and racism, which in the current climate of like COVID-19 feels very relevant of like this huge thing happened and it has changed literally everything, but also I still have to go to work every day. (laughs) And so it was a very interesting read to have right now. Also, the second book is really cool because it does this thing. So the first book, as I said, is told from April's perspective, except for the very last chapter, which is told from Andy's perspective, her best friend. But the second book does this really cool thing um, that scratches this itch in my brain of every time I read something and it's like a one person main character, I always want to know what every side character is thinking. And most of the entirety of the second book is told from those side characters. And um, they become main characters through their own telling of what this is like for them. And so I really love that. Um, yeah, I think that's the best I can do for a synopsis. Honestly, please read these books. We're gonna, I'll go into more details as far as specifics of what you'll need to know throughout the rest of this to answer these questions. But I cannot ju- like do it justice in a short amount of time. And even this is running longer than I wanted it to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so obviously these books are kind of complicated. There's a lot going on. You talked about the first book definitely being a first book. Mm-hmm. Um, second book, having kind of learned from that. What are some things that worked? And then what are some things that didn't yeah. in these books? Yeah, so one of my uh, one, one thing that really, really worked, one of my favorite things, is the way that Hank writes characters. And again, like I said, the second book definitely hit home a lot more for me just because I was seeing all of these side characters and their perspectives and their opinions. But all of his characters feel so relatable. I I loved all of them and I was disappointed in all of their stupid decisions, just like I would be of like my best friends, you know, like, oh my God, I love you so much. And I support you when you're doing good things. And when you're doing bad things, I still love you, but I just want to kick your teeth in. Like I just, (laughs) I got so frustrated over so many of the decisions these like dumb 20 year olds were making in this book. But as a dumb 20 year old, I was like, yeah, I would have made that same dumb decision. And then I also, like, cried every time something big would happen for any of the characters. Um, Can confirm, I was sitting across the living room, (laughs) and at least once a chapter, they would burst into tears. It's true. It's true. The second book really got me. But yeah, so these characters are so beautiful and flawed and human. Like, they just feel so real. And so that really worked for me. Um, Another thing I really liked is, as I said, this book tackles a lot. And it tackles a lot about what life is like right now, especially for people who have social media, who are involved with things online and have any level of notoriety for that. And it's done in a way that doesn't feel preachy, 
but feels accurate. Because like, I think it's very easy to say social media is the worst thing that's ever happened to teenagers. And whether or not you believe that's true, there are pros and cons to the way that people engage with social media. And there have been a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. And I think that Hank does a really good job of dissecting it and showing it to you with these human characters so that you're like, oh yeah, I've had a friend who's been through this exact experience or I have been through this experience and I can see now how social media or like the way that our economy works or dealing with racism is so entwined in all of it. Um, it rather than it being like, I'm tackling all of these separate issues. He was just like, here's everything. And I was like, oh yeah, there's everything. You got it. <laughs> In a way that was really artful and didn't feel like overbearing. So then what didn't work? Yeah. Um, so two things I'll say. So one, again, the first book is a little bit weaker for me. So I remember reading the first book when it came out, knowing there was a sequel coming later and going you know, I'll probably read it because I'm a big fan of the Green Brothers and everything they do, but it's definitely not my favorite book and, and just kind of feeling like, eh, okay about it. I think some of that was a product of the time where I was at personally, um, because again, I was in the middle of getting my degree, so I was very critical of everything I was reading. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think I was just like, because I didn't have the second book to compare it to and to go along with as far as story, um, it, it fell a little flat for me. Um, also, what I'll say is that um, I think that these books are labeled as science fiction. I don't remember if that's 100% true, uh, but they're not science fiction. They are fiction that stops and sometimes goes, hey, let's talk about science now, which I actually really liked. But I know that like that's another complaint that I've seen a lot online of people being like, this isn't really science fiction. So if you're looking for a science fiction book, this is not going to be like top tier, some of the best science fiction I've ever read. It is, I would say, up there for some of the best fiction I've ever read though, especially that second book. Sci-fi light? Yeah, yeah, which I actually prefer. <laughs> I don't like a lot of heavy exposition in my science fiction. I like a lot of, hey, here's this thing and maybe I'll explain it or maybe I won't. <laughs> That's fair. So we've mentioned a couple of times now that this is a duology. Yes. Um, do you think that that was a good way to tell the story? Do you think it could have been told better as like one book, a trilogy? I know Ooh. the trilogies are the big thing now. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think it really worked as a duology or not so much? I think it really did work as a duology. I think that if you had tried to cram all of this into one book, you either would have lost a lot of that artful detail of being able to tackle so many issues or it would have just been so dense that it read like a textbook. Um, I think two books was really nice. The, the first book is definitely necessary um, to, to give you that lead into the story. Um, but so much happens in the second book that it almost feels like it could have been split into two books. But I think, or uh, yeah, the second book could have been split into two, making it a trilogy. But I think had that happened, I would have just felt like, well, nothing really happens unless you read all three. You know, like, I feel like it would have been that thing of, like, I wouldn't be sitting here be like, so much happens. It would have been like, I mean, these were fine. So I think a duology was a great decision for this story, specifically. With that in mind, I am curious. Do you feel kind of then that the first book was almost like a precursor to the second book? Or does it work really firmly as, like, nope, this is a two-book set? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, it's definitely one of the things of like, if you picked up the second one, having not read the first one, you're going to be very lost. 
But it almost does feel like, to me at least, it feels like the first one is almost a companion novel to the second one. And that might just be because of my preference for, like, the writing style that did advance or the multi-character storytelling. Um, that, so that could just be a personal thing. But I really do feel like, I do feel that way. Like, I, I like the first book much better now having read the second one. So it almost does feel like a precursor or, like, just a really extended preface. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I was just curious just because of how you've been talking about yeah. the first book in comparison to the second and also having seen you in the middle of reading the second book. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the first one made me cry at all. The second one, I cried, yeah, literally almost every single chapter. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned before that these books have differing uh, points of view in them. Do you think that this was done well or could it have been done maybe a little bit differently? Was it an effective storytelling tool? Yes, I think it absolutely was an effective storytelling tool here. I I don't think the books would have been the same without it. I think also, surprisingly, because when I first read it, I almost was surprised by the breaking the fourth wall memoir style of it. Um, But I actually think it enhanced the storytelling. And again, it does become a plot point in the second one towards the end. So it, it plays into it. You can tell that like Hank had this whole story planned when he started writing it, as you mostly should as a writer um but yes I think it it was definitely it was done so well like I just am I'm impressed with how well it was done because all of these characters have such distinct voices but their storytelling as a whole fits the like feeling of this story you know I honestly don't think I would have liked the second one as much if it had still been told exclusively from the point of view of the main character because I kind of think she sucks which is the point like that's the point of her like she's great she does a lot of good things but she also kind of sucks and that's the point is they all do so I think seeing lots of people who are great but kind of suck is like oh this is humanity Mm -hmm. seeing one person who's great but kind of sucks you're like I just don't like this character (laughs) so what you're telling me is that you like a spectrum of suckage yes (laughs) I do I I do honestly I like I like um that there are certain characters I love for the characteristics that just that character has um and I love that they all suck in their own individual ways (laughs) and that again like I said I was so frustrated with them for their stupid decisions but they were so true to their character that I almost couldn't even fault them for it so talking about characters why don't you tell me a little about some of these characters and the dialogue that happens in them or between them I should say so yeah so we have we'll start with our like first friend trio so we have April April May, who is our main character. Maya, who is her roommate slash girlfriend, except for Maya wants to call them in a relationship, but April doesn't want to call it a relationship because April doesn't know how she feels about the, you know, the whole, again, she's a terrible person, but so is everybody. And, And also Andy, who they all went to college together and they worked on some really cool projects together, so now they're still friends. And Andy is a podcaster and a YouTuber, which is funny to read about. Uh, now (laughs) as a podcaster who also used to low-key be a youtuber um and then we have miranda who is a scientist who is incredible and who is probably my favorite character but also definitely the character that made me cry the most um who else do we have oh and we have carl who is a literal alien (laughs) 
that's quite the spectrum. Yep. <laughs> quite the spectrum of suckage. <laughs> Who of that group would you say are your favorite characters? Or so, favorite character? Yeah. So my favorite character would be Miranda, probably followed quickly up by Maya. Um, and I think the reason I like them so much is, one, they're both um, these, like, I mean, one, they're queer women, and boy, do I love queer women. <laughs> I love them in my characters. I love them in my real life. You know, it's just a great time. Um, but Miranda is probably the one who deals the most with, like, imposter syndrome. Miranda is a scientist. She's working on her PhD over the course of this book, but she sees herself as less than because April has notoriety. April is a celebrity. And by comparison, Miranda feels that I mean, nobody knows who Miranda is, so what's the point of X, Y, and Z? Um, and it's just interesting uh, to to see imposter syndrome so blatantly like laid out in a human being as somebody who struggles with an insane amount of imposter syndrome all the time, literally every day. It's, it's interesting because I, and I think that's why she's one of my favorite characters. I love Maya um, because Maya is, Maya's right almost every time <laughs> and I think that that's an interesting character especially so Maya and April kind of go back and forth dating and not dating and breaking up and well we never called it anything so what are we doing and then getting back together and you know one very relatable to my own dating life but two um Maya is one of the characters who keeps her head on for most of it you know like mm. she doesn't lose um her mind like she does a little bit like again Maya still has her downfalls Maya still screws up but throughout the course of both of the books she a lot of the times is the rock of the group who is like you're being an idiot you know like let's think through this we don't have to act immediately just because if we don't tweet about it right this minute then somebody else is going to tweet about it first what are you even talking about which is a literal conversation that happens multiple times throughout the book (laughs) speaking of conversations you want to tell me some of those uh favorite lines from the book yes (laughs) so um yes so from the first book, an absolutely remarkable thing, my favorite line was, being annoyed by carefully crafted internet personas was part of my carefully crafted internet persona. <laughs> Which I think does a really good job of summing up kind of what the book talks about in terms of social media, of like who you are online and what that means and how ridiculous it all is. <laughs> but not any uh, losing any of its importance. And from A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor, uh, this line is from Carl, actually, uh, the alien, about humans. Um, So, one of the most powerful traits of your system, um, meaning humanity, is how ardently you believe in your individuality while simultaneously operating almost entirely as a collective. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. I, there were so many good ones, though. I wrote down so many lines. Trying to pick two of favorite quotes, just one from each book, was incredibly difficult. Because there are so many lines that I would just, like, would have to put the book down for a second and go, oh, my gosh, I got to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. 
So you said earlier that this is not real. It's technically sci-fi, but not really a sci-fi book. Yes. Um, I know that you had kind of mentioned to me a little bit about some of the technology in the story. Do yes. you want to talk a little bit about the technology in this book and how it's used? Ooh, good question. So this book, take or these books, I guess I should say, take place in a, like, I would say a timeline adjacent to now. So they take place in quote-unquote present day. So a lot of the technology in it is technology that we could have now until you get to the second book and it gets a lot more complicated. So one of the main plot points of the second book is a full-body immersion virtual reality um, experience called the Altus Space. Um, And again like i said i wasn't able to go into too much detail about what happened in the books without it just taking forever but one of the things that happens is that the carl gives humanity a dream um and it is a shared dream experience and then when carl leaves the dream goes with them and so then scientists probably isn't the right rich men um (laughs) create a virtual gaming experience where you can remove your consciousness from your body and put it in what they're calling the altus space um and so we learn a lot about like escapism and how when the thing that you're using for escapism because that quite honestly that is what happened a lot of people used the dream to escape their daily lives and it was a it was a bonding experience it was something that brought people together globally and then when that was taken away something had to replace that and for a lot of people that became this virtual reality space um and it does become an addiction and uh, so technology (laughs) is complicated in this book but um we also see a lot of really good things being used with technology you know like much like real life again it's it's a very um it feels very real (laughs) yeah um so i know that this isn't technically technology um (laughs) but the weird sort of situation with the carl or the carls (laughs) yeah (laughs) themselves himself itself Mm -hmm. um it's kind of a branch off of the technology question. So why don't you kind of explain their situation considering they are yeah. such a big part of this book? Yeah. So Carl is an alien kind of. So basically the way the book explains it is that at some point in human history, I can't remember off the top of my head now. Um, Carl was sent to save humanity to essentially step in whenever humanity reached a point where we were going to destroy ourselves. And the goal of Carl was to prevent that from happening, to to keep us as a species ongoing, to keep our world ongoing. Um, and so because of that, Carl is made up of a lot of Earth um, because they have been here for so long that they have absorbed a lot of energy and atoms kind of talking about the like recycling of energy matter cannot be created or destroyed kind of touches on that about how to grow (laughs) i don't know if any of this is gonna make sense to grow um carl absorbs energy that is not being used from earth and uses it for themselves and so multiple times throughout the book um carl is so in the in the first book carl is a set of what seems to be statues 
um, that hover above the ground and don't do anything. They don't move. They cannot be moved. Um, and they don't really interact with humanity other than the dream that we end up finding about, finding out about. Um, and then in the second book, the Carls, as the world knows them, the statues are gone. Um, but Carl ends up saving April and healing her by giving her parts of themselves. And it's all very complex and I don't want to say convoluted because it is important to the story, but I don't fully even understand how Hank came up with it or how he managed to describe it in a way that made sense to my brain while I was reading it. <laughs> because now I'm just like, what? Um, but yeah, so the Carls are... Um, pluralizing the Carls is technically incorrect, but also technically not incorrect because the Carl is one being spread over many atoms. And so many entities... Um, yeah, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> That's no, as good I, as I think I can get. <laughs> to, to some degree, that makes sense. Um, and especially when you're talking about, like, the fact that this is is sci-fi, but isn't sci-fi. Right. It almost seems like it's sci-fi adjacent, because these yes. are all concepts that, like, if you've taken a high school science mm-hmm. class, you at least have a base concept of yes. the general science of how this comes to be. Mm-hmm. Like, you understand atoms, you understand that living yeah. beings are made up of atoms, that energy can't be created or destroyed that mm-hmm. it just has to basically go somewhere yes um so that's very interesting i like that so what's the purpose of this book and do you think that it was done well i think that hank tries to tackle a lot in these books i've said that multiple times that we touch on a lot of issues here but i think the main kind of if i had to pick one main purpose i think it's the idea that um Engaging with something that is by default corrupt, even with good intentions, can have disastrous results. And we see this time and time again with all of our different characters in the different things they're engaging with. They're not even all engaging with the same thing. Um, and all of them at some point have this moment of, oh, I have I have done so bad, I don't even know how to dig myself out of this hole. <laughs> um and I think it is is done so beautifully. And I, I think the in in I think the inverse of that is also the importance of community. You know, this idea that I have done so bad that I don't know how to get myself out of this hole is solved by I have friends who are gonna pull me out of this hole. <laughs> um, and so I think he does a beautiful job of 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 smashing those ideas together and yeah really good he does a great job i'm very again very impressed so i don't know if you want to rate these individually but what would you rate these books and you can rate them as individual books or rate them as a duology overall you could even give all three if you wanted i think i'll do all three um so i think for me and i'm trying not to let the rereading with the second book affect my review of book one so i think book one um and absolutely remarkable thing i would give a three out of five like a weak three or like i think i would give it a a solid three i think i'd give it a solid three out of five um a beautifully foolish endeavor was a 4.75 out of five for me again it was that thing of like the only reason it was a 4.75 was because again a lot of capitalization a lot of ellipses and just like there were 
sometimes where I was like, this is a little distracting. It, it pulled me out a little bit. Mm. Overall, I'd say a 4.5 out of 5. Great, great for the, books. For the whole For the duology. whole duology, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And so then, who would you recommend this to? Gosh. I am tempted to say everybody, but I know that that's a cop-out answer. Like, you're not going to read these, I yeah, would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and that's fair. Because um, I don't think they're for everybody, but I do want everyone to read them. <laughs> um, but I think, I think if you are looking for books that deep dive into the world we live in right now that are engaging and aren't a textbook or a case study, but they dive deep into the issues of the effects of our world on young people today, these are great books for that. Um, I actually messaged uh, an old communications professor of mine to tell him about these books because I was like, hey, your class should read these books. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think if you're interested in in social media, in fame, in the modern world, and and like some light science fiction aliens, um, I think that this is definitely the book for that. Well, that's all for... The questions that I have, Yes. that is the end of this book review. Thank you so much for listening along to this very interesting ride I know, of I a hope, book review. I hope any of it made sense. <laughs> if you have read these books, uh, I would love to hear your comments on them. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I would love for you to, either on our Facebook or on our Instagram or on our Twitter, um, you can reach out and let's have a discussion about this book about these books because I, I would love to talk more about it <laughs> and if you have a synopsis that makes more sense please share it with us <laughs> yeah so you can go ahead and check out Gracie Bow's writing you can google Gracie Bow's G-R-A-C-Y-B-O-E-S yes. um, they are a published poet they have a handful of poems now in different I think like literary five or journals six, yeah. yeah five or six. Oh, nice Something that's like that. more than I thought you were at like four nope Oh. I don't know anymore. I haven't counted in a minute. <laughs> Regardless, they are a published poet. Um, you can definitely reach out via social media, but definitely check out their poetry. Thank you. Um, but you can find my book reviews and whatnot on bookinfested.com. If you want to reach out to us online, you can find us on Facebook at Choice Words Podcast. You can tweet us at Choice Words under, underscore pod. And you can find us on Instagram, also at Choice Words underscore pod. We would love to hear from you. Absolutely. All right. Have a great day, folks. Bye! <laughs> Hank Green, if you ever hear this, I love you, and I'm sorry that I didn't like your first book. <laughs>